Thank you for listening to Yundamu The Trial. Subscribers of The Australian will have access to our full coverage of The Trial across all devices. The Australian brings you a daily podcast, exclusive video, audio, news and analysis as the case unfolds. Download The Australian app from your app store or go to theaustralian.com.au forward slash subscribe to view our range of subscription offers. Turn our attention to a developing story in the Northern Territory. A teenager has died after he was shot by police at a remote community. How are we still talking about another black death in this Saturday night was a tragic day for the Northern Territory. A man has died and our Northern Territory police officer has been charged with one count of murder. What they did is not right. That's what everybody is here to demonstrate today. The member has made it clear that he will plead not guilty and will vigorously contest the charge. The member and his family have the complete support of the NTPA. As Territorians, we have been through challenging times before. We cannot and will not let this divide us. In what's expected to be one of the most significant court cases in the Northern Territory's history, police officer Zachary Rolfe is about to stand trial for murder over the death of Aboriginal man Kumanjai Walker, who he fatally shot during an arrest in November 2019. Welcome to Uendamu, The Trial. I'm Kristen Shorten, and this is our first pre-trial episode. Matt Cunningham from Sky News is my co-host, and he'll be joining me each day of the trial. So, Kristen, what do we know about Kumanjai Walker? So, Walker, born Arnold Charles Walker, was 19 years old when he died. He was born in Alice Springs Hospital in October 2000. His birth mother, Selena Lane, she was from the Central Australian Indigenous community of Haas Bluff. Uh, Soon after Walker's birth, Lane gave her newborn to a couple in Alice Springs who actually then raised him. Both of Walker's biological parents are now dead. His mother died soon after his birth, so when he was just a baby still, and his father died in a Darwin prison in 2014. Now, Walker grew up in what's known as a town camp on the outskirts of Alice Springs, but also throughout his childhood spent stints living in Catherine, Tea Tree, Papunya and Yundamu, all in the Northern Territory, and at one stage across the border in Adelaide. As he got older, he spent more and more time with his partner's family, who are the Robertsons in Yundamu. He also has relatives out there, the Browns. Unfortunately, as we're so close to trial, I can't go into too much detail about Walker's upbringing or his prior offending. But what I can say is that Walker had been in contact with various territory departments and agencies throughout his entire life from when he was a baby. As for Walker's personality and what he was like as a young man, the Australian's northern correspondent Amos Aikman recently visited Yuendamu and spoke to Walker's relatives. This is what they told him. People who know him say his parents were alcoholics. Uh, One of his closest blood relatives described him recently to me as someone who was always running, always running. I think he was a very troubled kid, but he also loved and was loved a relative who spoke to me in quite personal terms said all parts of the family here walker was in trouble quite a lot she said all parts of the family really struggled with that and found it very difficult to deal with Uh, but they were coming to realize that often his offending was a cry for help Um, and had he not died they hoped that he might have come to terms with some of those uh, difficult behaviors and found a better way he was quiet 
but funny. Uh, when I got to the house where he died, there was a dog in the yard, uh, which I call Red Dog. Um, I'm told he raised that dog for a puppy, from a puppy. The dog actually, uh, according to his foster mother, now goes out with a calf or a cow that lives in the yard of his partner, and they go out together and lie on his grave. Um, she showed me footprints from those animals when we went out there. But people say he was quiet. He was uh, quite a reserved young fellow, but he liked hanging out with his cousins, his other young relatives. Um, and when he had the opportunity to spend time with his family, I think it sounds like everybody really enjoyed it. And what do we know about Zach Rolf? Well, Matt, as a matter of fact, I know Zach Rolf. I actually met Rolf during my five years living and working in the Territory. Now, Rolf will turn 30 on the first day of his murder trial, but at the time of this incident at Yuendamu, he was just 28 years old. Rolf was a happy young cop who was enjoying his life and career in the Territory. I know that he loved policing and working with his colleagues in Alice Springs. Born and raised in Canberra, Rolf joined the NT Police in May 2016. After seven months at the Academy in Berrima, he graduated Ducks of his squad in December that year before being posted straight down to Alice Springs, which had been his first preference for a posting. Notably, a week later as a probationary constable, Rolf saved two missing Asian tourists from the flooded Hugh River. His efforts that day earned him a bunch of bravery awards, and I reported on that river rescue for the NT News at the time. At the time of this shooting incident in Nuendamu, Rolf had been in the job for just under three years as a general duties police officer and had also during that time become a member of the immediate response team. Prior to this incident, he had aspirations to join the Territory Response Group up in Darwin, uh, and he had successfully completed the TRG selection course in around August 2018. Now, prior to joining the police, he spent five years in the military, in the infantry at 1RAR in Townsville, and had completed a tour of Afghanistan. So, Matt, what do we know about this shooting? Look, Kristen, the exact circumstances leading up to the shooting will be determined in court, but there are some facts that are not in dispute, and they are these. Constable Rolf was one of four immediate response team members deployed from Alice Springs to the outback town of Yuendamu in November that year to apprehend Kumanjai Walker on four charges, including assaulting police with an axe and breaching his suspended sentence. Now, shortly after leaving Yuendamu Police Station, on the evening of Saturday the 9th of November, Rolf and another member of the immediate response team, Adam Aburl, located Walker at what's known as House 511. The houses in Yuendamu are numbered. Now, when Rolf identified Walker and asked him to put his hands behind his back, Walker stabbed Rolf in the shoulder near an artery with a pair of 10-centimetre-long stainless steel surgical scissors. Rolf then fired his Glock into Walker three times. Walker died later that night inside the UNMU police station. Four days later, Rolf was charged with murder. What will the prosecutors allege during the trial? Well, it, it will all come down to uh, the question of the three shots that were fired. Now, the prosecutors uh, will claim that the first shot uh, may in fact have been justified. Their case will be around the second and third shots and whether those shots uh, were necessary under the circumstances, whether 
uh, it was required that Constable Rolfe needed to fire those second and third shots uh, under the circumstances. This all took place over a very short period of time, 3.6 seconds in fact. Uh, So this case is likely to hinge on whether the jury agrees with the prosecution that those second and third shots were unnecessary under those circumstances. And what will the defence say? Well, Rolfe's lawyers will argue that the actions were were justifiable defensive conduct, that Rolfe was in a difficult situation, that uh, both uh, his life and the life of his partner were in danger uh, and therefore uh, he needed to fire those shots to maintain a safe situation. Uh, They'll also claim that what he did was in line with his police training, that basically every action that he took basically matched what he'd been trained to do uh, when he was recruited as a Northern Territory police officer. Matt, what was the reaction to the shooting incident and the murder charge itself? Well, there was a huge reaction and there wasn't just a reaction in the Northern Territory, Kristen, there was a reaction right around the country. We saw thousands of people in the aftermath of this shooting attend rallies, not just in Alice Springs and Darwin, but in major capital cities, including Melbourne uh, and Sydney. There was a great deal of uh, outrage that was expressed by people about the fact that an Aboriginal man had been shot dead by a police officer. Of course, uh, there was uh, certainly a lot of people who attended those protests and sort of expressed their outrage that uh, an Aboriginal person had died in custody. So, uh, you know, there was certainly a a huge reaction uh, that was that took place right across the country in the wake of this incident. There was also a strong reaction um, from the Northern Territory Police and the Northern Territory Police Force. Uh, This incident actually happened, Kristen, on the 9th of November. It was two days before Jamie Chalker was due to begin in his job as the Northern Territory's police commissioner. He was actually called in a day early to deal with this incident, called in on a Sunday uh, before he was due to begin work on Monday the 11th of November. Now, there's been no doubt that since this incident, there's, it's had a huge effect on police morale across uh, the Northern Territory. And I think that's been a huge challenge for the new police commissioner. Jamie Chalker, the first, first born and bred uh, Northern Territory police commissioner, someone whose father was a decorated police officer, someone who himself has had a distinguished career as a police officer in the Northern Territory, uh, and someone who worked for more than two decades uh, in remote communities in the Northern Territory. So it's certainly been a baptism of fire. Uh, for Jamie Chalker trying to manage some of those issues that have existed in the Northern Territory Police Force since this incident happened. There have been officers who have been um, sacked from their jobs over some of uh, their expression of outrage over what has happened. There have been others who've been given warnings uh, and suspensions. So it's certainly been uh, a tumultuous period, uh, both within and without, uh, inside and outside the Northern Territory Police Force uh, since this incident occurred. So Matt, almost a year after the shooting, a committal was held in Alice Springs last September. I know you covered that for Sky News. Can you tell us what happened at the committal? Well, for legal reasons, we can't talk too much about what happened at the committal uh, it being so close to the actual trial. What we can say is that Judge John Birch deemed that there was sufficient evidence uh, for this matter to proceed to trial. Now, uh, that trial was supposed to begin Uh, on the 19th of July, but there have been some subsequent delays due to COVID-19, but we're now looking at that trial getting underway on the 18th of August. Has Rolf yet been required to enter a plea? 
Well, there hasn't been that requirement at this stage. That'll happen at the beginning of the trial, but certainly through the Northern Territory Police uh, Association, he has indicated that he intends to plead not guilty uh, to the murder charge. And unfortunately, being so close to trial, we can't take listeners back through all of the legal arguments that have taken place at various court mentions since that committal last September. But we should mention that just over a month ago, fresh charges were laid against Constable Rolf over Walker's death. Can you tell us about those? Well, these are essentially backup charges, Kristen. So if uh, the, the jury's unable uh, to find Constable Rolf guilty uh, of murder, it will then be able to look at these other charges. Now, one is a charge of manslaughter uh, and the other is a charge of a violent act causing death. And Matt, what sort of sentences do these charges carry in the Northern Territory? Well, in the NT, murder carries a mandatory sentence of life imprisonment with a minimum non-parole period of 20 years. Those mandatory sentences uh, are something that haven't been without controversy uh, in the past. In fact, there was uh, some serious controversy recently, a case involving an Aboriginal man from Catherine by the name of Zach Grieve, who was actually uh, sentenced to that minimum 20 years for murder for an incident where he actually wasn't there when the murder took place. Now, that was a, an interesting case because uh, there was an appeal to the uh, administrator to actually step in in that case, and eventually the administrator did and reduced that 20-year minimum to 12 years. Manslaughter in the NT carries a maximum sentence of life imprisonment, imprisonment but has no mandatory minimum sentence. And the third charge we're talking about here, violent act causing death, carries a maximum sentence of 16 years but no mandatory minimum. Now, that charge has also been the subject of some controversy. It was introduced by the former country Liberal Party government in response to an incident that happened in the town of Catherine, a town that's about 300 kilometres south of Darwin about 10 years ago involving an off-duty police officer by the name of Brett Meredith who was actually uh, king hit outside uh, a nightclub and died. Now, the person who was charged over that incident was charged with manslaughter. There wasn't enough evidence to uphold uh, a conviction for manslaughter. And so in response to that case, uh, the government of the day introduced this new charge of a violent act causing death. Interestingly, in, in many cases since, that uh, charge has actually been used uh, by men who've beaten their partners to death and have then been charged under this violent act uh, causing death and have actually received uh, sentences of only three or four years over those sorts of incidents. Listeners are welcome to email us feedback or any questions they'd like us to try and answer throughout the trial. You can reach us at uendamupodcast at theaustralian.com.au. Next week, Matt and I, with the help of some guests, will try to provide some context to this case with a bit of background about Uendamu, how policing works in the Territory, the medical services available in remote communities and other issues surrounding this complex story. We hope you'll join us then. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Yundamu The Trial. If you want to access ongoing coverage of the trial, please subscribe to The Australian and listen via our app. Subscribers of The Australian will have access to our full coverage of the trial across all devices. Yundamu The Trial is presented and produced by me, Kristen Shorten and Matt Cunningham. It's produced and edited by Leah Semaglu and Claire Harvey is our editorial director. 
This podcast was made possible by subscribers to The Australian. News doesn't have to be boring. The Brits have given Prince Harry a new nickname after yet another tell-all interview. Oh, God, is it the ginger winger? <laughs> <laughs> Let the team at news.com.au get you up to speed each day with their podcast from the newsroom. A couple were busted joining the Mile High Club. Well, I guess they can't fly virgin anymore. <laughs> Politics, sport, red carpets, royals. Get all the goss in just a few minutes. Follow from the newsroom wherever you get your podcast from. Listener.